just continuing in a spirit of worship. Just proclaim to him how much you love him. How awesome he is. How great he is. How magnificent he is. Mm. Lord Jesus, we exalt you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you are here in our midst. You are here, Lord, and we thank you for that truth. God, I pray for every heart here. I pray for Christians that they're encouraged, that they're strengthened, that they're propelled forward. Lord, if there's people here that are struggling, Father, I pray that you strengthen them. And Father, if there be anybody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they will see you high and exalted, high and lifted up, Lord, and they'll, they'll understand your truth, your grace, and your love towards them. Lord, let that be our heart cry this morning. Be exalted, O oh God, above the heavens. Be exalted above your sanctuary. Be lifted up, Lord God, in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. All God's people said, amen. 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 You may have a seat. Man, it's great to be here. Love coming to church. I came to the Lord in 1992, and there's one thing I always looked forward to. That was going to church, being with my brothers and sisters, getting in the word, worshiping. And um, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you guys this morning. Question for you this morning. How important to you is your spiritual life? How important to you is your spiritual life? Uh, where do you rank it? Where, where, do, where do you rank it in your daily, weekly, monthly priorities? Prior, priorities? Where, where does it fit in? If, and the next question is, how does your life reflect your priorities? Do you prioritize God in your life? Do you prioritize getting into his word? Do you prioritize worship? Do you prioritize getting to, um, to know him? How important is it to you? You know, we go through seasons of life where, oh God, I need you, I need you, I need you. Because we're going through a situation but then there's times in life where all is well, and we're just kind of like, okay, you know, God's there, I'm here, we're all good. But, you know, God wants us to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. He wants us to, to be with him, to, to be in fellowship with him. Um, the word air, H-E-I-R, is, is used four times in the book of Galatians. And it's used all four times in um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, which is the last verse we looked at last week, and chapter 4. And what, so what we're looking at this morning is being close to God and knowing that he calls us an heir. He calls us an, an heir. 
we're going to start a sermon. We're, we're looking at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 20 this morning. But I'm actually going to start in Galatians 3.29, because I believe Galatians 3.29 actually goes with Galatians chapter 4. So it says, as it is up on the screen, it says, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promises. Now, what does heir mean? What, what is heir? It's one who receives an inheritance. A lot of times it's a child, but they wait till the child comes of age, and then they receive the rightful inheritance. But there's an expectation. There's an expectation that comes with a person being an heir to an estate or being an heir to an inheritance, and that is they got to grow up. They got to grow up. I was studying this passage all week, and I was diving into it, and I was cooking it. I sent my email out Thursday or Friday, and the title of my message or the title of my email was, uh, it's time to grow up. And then I still I just trudged through it and studying it and meditating on it. And not only, my, my sermon title slightly shifted, and it shifted to receiving your inheritance. But with receiving your inheritance, you have to grow up. <laughs> you have to grow up. Um, what's the inheritance, you may ask? What, what, what is the inheritance that Christ has given us? I can't list them all. There's so many. There's so many blessings to being in Christ. First off, just outright straightforward, it's a blessed life. It's a blessed life to live on earth when you're in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's blessed. There's tranquility of soul. There's tranquility of mind. There's no better life. The inheritance, there's faith. He gives you a, in Christianity, he gives you a faith that will overcome the world. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So that blessed life, he makes you more than a conqueror. He gives you faith, and you, through Christ, can overcome the obstacles of this life. You can overcome the heartbreaks of this life. How about the Holy Spirit? Let's not forget the Holy Spirit. Part of the inheritance of being a Christian is inside you. Not inside your physical body. You have this cavity in there with all these, these hearts and these liver and these kidneys and all these muscles. But inside your spirit man, that immaterial part of you, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is part of our inheritance for coming to God and being in Him. And how about this one? We're saved from an eternity in the lake of fire. Hallelujah. If that ain't worth jumping for joy and start dancing for, I don't know what is. Now, I know, Pastor Dave, we don't dance at Calvary Chapel. Now, I understand that. I know. We don't dance at Calvary Chapel. But it doesn't mean I don't want to sometimes. Because I want to celebrate and rejoice in what God has done in my life. We, we were studying in 2 Samuel just a couple weeks ago. What was King David doing? He was dancing before the Lord. He was rejoicing. And we can rejoice also in the inheritance. And we look and we study God's precious and magnificent promises. The more you study the Bible, the more you understand your inheritance. As you go through the scriptures and you see, oh, that's promised to me. Oh, that's promised to me. Oh, he's going to give me his Holy Spirit. Oh, he's going to bless my life. Oh, he's going to guide and direct me. Oh, he's going to bless me. I believe not only in spiritual blessing, 
but um, material wealth, material blessing. He takes care of his children. He takes care of us in every facet of life. The inheritance is humongous. So let's pray, and we'll get into Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Father God in heaven, thank you now, Lord, as we look at your word. I pray, Lord, that you um, do your work in our lives and encourage us, and let us just soak your word in. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says this, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is an owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until a date set by the father. So here we have this picture of the father. He has children. There's an inheritance, but they're being kept under guardian because they haven't come of age yet. They haven't come to an understanding. They have not come of age yet. In the ancient world, children would go through a ceremony to become an adult. I want to read to you and show you some pictures of them. In the Greek culture, there was the apatura ceremony. Most young males went through it from ages 18 to 20. In this Greek culture, a male coming of age, they would cut their hair and they would offer their hair to the god Apollos. And then they would enter into a two-year military service. That was the coming of age in the first century for, for Greek, young Greek men. In the Roman culture, there was the toga varsilis, the average age for a young man and women, young ladies would go through this also. Um, average age that they would go through this would be, average, would be 14 to 16. In this ceremony, the young boy or girl would sacrifice their toys to the Roman gods or whatever the pagan god that their parents worshipped. And in this ceremony, they would exchange their toga pretexta for a, a toga varsilis. And basically, they, they would have this... As a child, they'd have a white robe. It would have um, red lining, and they would take that off. And coming of age, they would put on a, a new, pure, white toga representing that they have come of age. And then I know many of you have heard of this one. And that in the Jewish culture, they have the bar mitzvah. In the bar mitzvah, this was, this was we see in their culture was the youngest. In the Greek, it was 18 to 20-year-olds. Roman culture, it was 14 to 16 in the Jewish culture, it was um, when they were 12 years old. A ceremony would take place on the first Sabbath after their 12th birthday. And this is what the father would pray in the bar mitzvah. The father would say in the presence of his son, he'd say this prayer, Blessed be thou, O God, who hath taken from me the responsibility of this boy. And then the boy would respond in the ceremony with, O my God, and God of my fathers, on this solemn and sacred day which marks my passage from boyhood to manhood, I humbly raise my eyes unto thee and declare with sincerity and truth that henceforth I will keep thy commandments and undertake to bear the responsibility of my actions towards thee. And as I said a while ago, young girls would go through this too, except instead of calling me a bar, mit bar mitzvah, it was called a, a bat mitzvah. That's what the girls would go through. The Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, when I became a man, I did away with childish things. And even in the Bible, even in ancient cultures, and even today, 
we are called to grow up. We're called to grow up. And there's consequences if we don't mature in life. There's consequences if we don't mature in life in the physical world with developing as an adult. But there's also consequences if we don't develop and mature and grow up spiritually. That's so important. But we're living in a culture today. We're living in an age where people put very little priority on it. Sad to say. But we can't go with what the flow of the culture. We've got to go with what the Word of God says. And we've got to understand that our spiritual maturity and our spiritual growth is so important. Please mark my words. Please mark my words. I remember Pastor John said one time on a Wednesday night Bible study, um, he was looking at a lot of the guys at U-Turn, and I was sitting down there with him, and he looked at us, and he said, the Bible says there's one source of wisdom, but I'm here to tell you there's two sources of wisdom. Men, the first source of wisdom is the school of hard knocks. The second source of wisdom is the Word of God. Let's learn from the Word of God first. But it's so important. It's so important that we, that we, that we grow um, that we, that we grow and we receive our inheritance. So, let's look, question number one for you this morning. What keeps us? What keeps us from our inheritance? Look at verse three. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Now, in context, what's going on in the first century when the Apostle Paul is writing this and he's writing this letter to the Galatians, the, the bondage was for the Judaizers, and their bondage was legalism. They, weren't, they, they were adding the law to the gospel, and it produced legalism. But for us today, you know, we don't have that problem. We weren't raised in the Mosaic law. We, we weren't raised in the Mosaic law and now presented with the gospel. What was, what was our bondage? Whatever stood in the way of you knowing Jesus. So for each and every one of us in here, before we came to Christ, only you know that answer. What was that thing that stood in the way? What was that thing that kept you from coming to Christ? What was it? It says in verse 3, it says, uh, they were held in bondage. Bondage means to be held captive. It, it, It means to be enslaved. It means that you're handcuffed and you can't move and you can't move forward because you're under this bondage, you're under this prison. Then it says you're held in bondage under the elemental things of this world. What are the elemental things of this world? There's a lot of interpretations of this verse. I want to present to you the three main interpretations that that scholars give for what the elemental things of this world is. Number one is demonic spirits in the heavenly realm. Demonic spirits in the heavenly realm. Talking about um, witchcraft. Talking about the occult. Talking about uh, manifestations of evil spirits manifesting in the physical realm. Number two, the stars and the planets. The stars and the planets is one interpretation of elemental things. This This is where people believe that life and destiny is in the stars. What do we call that today? Astrology. Astrology. My life and my destiny ain't in no star. It ain't in no planet. It ain't in no solar system. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? The third interpretation of elemental things in verse 3 
is pagan and false religions, uh, deceptive religions. And, you know, and a lot of times, one of the biggest signs of a false religion and a pagan religion is this. It promotes immorality. It promotes sexual immorality. It's, it's, it's any um, pagan or false religion that falsely claims um, superiority to Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. When he says he's the truth, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, he says, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. In other words, Jesus Christ is reality. He is reality. The day you breathe your last breath on this earth, you will step into eternity, and you as a child of God and a believer in Jesus, you will come before him in all his glory and all his splendor. And that's also a promise for the unbelieving world. They need to come to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Because without the righteousness that comes from trusting in Christ, they will perish. And that is our job as Christians, is to bring the gospel. So the elemental things, uh, demonic spirits, uh, stars and planets, pagans and false religions. My definition, in Pastor David's interpretation of elemental things, anything that stands in the way of knowing Jesus Christ. So it could be a number of things. What, what was my thing? What was my elemental thing before I came to Christ? I, I know it. I, I remember it very clearly. Pastor David, before he came to Christ, the elemental thing that kept me from coming to know Christ was this. I loved my sin. I did. I loved my sin. I idolized my way of life. I enjoyed it. I swam in it. I lived in it. And I didn't, I wasn't um, uh, tortured or, or victimized or, or anything. I had a sinful, rebellious heart that rose up and said this, I'm going to live like I want to. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that was my elemental thing, was I idolized my sin. I wanted to live in this path. And it wasn't until 1992 that I came to my senses. I came to my senses and said, I need Jesus to forgive me. It, it, it was 1992 when I came to my senses, and I said, you know what, this is sin. And I'm living a life separated from God. You know, what I failed to realize, and what people fail to realize is they're in bondage. They're in bondage. They're in shackles. So the elemental things is whatever holds us back. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The title of my sermon was Receiving Your Inheritance. I want to stop right here and say this. The first step in receiving your inheritance is this. That you understand and you believe who Jesus is according to the Bible. According to the Bible. I got to say that. I got to say that. Not the Jesus according to the History Channel. You go there, you're going to get all messed up. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. That is not the way, the truth, the life. Not the Jesus of the Gnostics, Gnostic writings. Not the Jesus of the pagan cults. The Jesus of Genesis to Revelation found in the Bible. That is the Jesus. That we, that, that, that we understand and we believe in. So let's look at it, verse 4. It says, uh, But the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. God the Father sent his Son, the eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the Jesus 
that we believe in. The, the one that says there was born of a woman, talking about the incarnation. Jesus didn't come into existence at his birth. At the immaculate reception of Jesus, of, of Mary conceiving Jesus, the Father looked at the Son and said, It's showtime. It's time to go to earth. And we call it the incarnation, where Jesus, the eternal Son of God, he took on flesh through the Virgin Mary. Then it says he was born, verse 4 says he was born under the law. Uh, basically talking about the time period that he came in. He came into this world when Israel was under the law in first century Palestine. Um, we believe in the Jesus according to the Bible with no compromise. Here's my question for you this morning. Have you embraced him? Have you embraced the Jesus of the Bible? And not the Jesus of the world or the culture or the history channel or the cults, but the Lord Jesus Christ of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Have you embraced him? Is he your Lord? That's where he wants us to be. And that's how I believe we receive the inheritance. It's when we, we jump on that bull and we take it by the horns and we run with it. And we say, Lord Jesus, I am all in and I'm here to serve you. Please reveal yourself to me. What does that look like in daily life? Getting into the word, getting into fellowship, into studying God's word, worshiping, spending time in prayer, and, and, and just diving in, diving in. I believe that is when we understand and we begin to understand this awesome inheritance that he's given us. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5, he says, So that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons, because you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, I love this, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Step number two, or principle number two, whatever you want to call it, for receiving the inheritance is you understand the gospel. You understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. It says, so that he might redeem. He might redeem us. What, that word redeem, the picture is a purchase. A purchase has been made. What has Christ purchased us? He's purchased us by his death at Calvary from the powers of Satan. From the dominion of darkness. He's rescued us from a lifestyle that would wreck our lives if he hadn't intervened. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. God's law, the Ten Commandments, the moral law, looks down and it puts everybody under judgment. The law does. It says that you're guilty, that you've lied, you've stolen, you've blasphemed, you've God's name in vain. And it brings guilt and condemnation. And by his purchase, by his death on the cross, we are redeemed from the curse of the law because he paid the price for us. It was a purchase. That word redeem, when you, when, you, when you hear the word redeem, think of the word purchase. Think of the word uh, ransom. It, it, it means he bought us back. And it was. A, and let me say this, let me add this. It was a very costly purchase. It was a very costly purchase, the sacrifice that he made for you and me at Calvary. And then it continues in verse 5, um, to those who were under law that we might receive, here it is, the adoptions as son. Do you know God has adopted you? Do you know God has adopted you? In the picture, in the context, 
is that is, is, is you've gone from a servant, from a little child, he's adopted you into maturity, into an adult, in, into an inheritance. The uh, adoption means he's trained, ownership has been transferred. You, you, you have been brought from darkness into light, and he, he has adopted you. He has adopted you for himself to be his child. You are a child of God. Adoption in the scriptures, not like adoption in our world. It's not where you, you, you go and you take care of the, um, it, it comes by, um, you take the child into the home and then you go through all the legal processes and going through all the adoptions. It doesn't take, it doesn't take place that way in God's world. He does it through the adoption process. He does it through Calvary. And he does it by you receiving him as, as, his, as your Lord and Savior. That's how he adopts you. And then verse 6, remember, uh, to receive the inheritance, we're looking at understanding the gospel. Verse 6, understanding the gospel in mind, he sends the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. As I said a while ago, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, comes and dwells inside your, that immaterial part of you, that spiritual part of you, and he dwells there. And notice what he does. Scripture talks about all these things that the Holy Spirit does in our life. But look at what he does. He causes our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. You know what the word Abba means? It means Papa, Daddy. It, the Holy Spirit, part of the inheritance, the Holy Spirit coming into your life, brings an intimacy an intimacy. That's what led me this morning to open up with, I think it was Psalms 18, where it says, Lord, I love you. Because that's what the Spirit does in our hearts. We cry out to him, Abba, Father, I love you, Lord. It's a, it's a term of endearment. It's, it's, it's intimacy. It's Psalms 18 one says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's not this formula. It's not this creed in our mind. But it's this thing in our heart that calls out to him and says, Lord, I love you. You're awesome. You've adopted me. You've redeemed me. You've sent your Holy Spirit. So the second step to receiving the inheritance is we understand the gospel. We understand the gospel. Verse 8. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Now, we all know in Christianity and in the church, we love talking about God's plan for our life. We love, we love talking about God has a plan for your life. And to that, I say amen, amen, and amen. But check this out. Satan has one too. Satan. Satan has a plan. Or better yet, Satan has a scheme. Satan has a scheme. Give you a list of Satan's schemes. Number one, he enslaves you. In other words, we talked about a while ago, he'll, he'll, he'll put shackles on people. He'll put shackles on people. What do those shackles look like? Sin. Sin. He darkens people's hearts. He darkens people's minds. Satan's plan is to keep people far from Christ. To keep people far from the Lord. Satan's plan is to keep people far from the church. Far from other believers. Far from the word. That's his plan. To drive a wedge. Number three... He'll entice you with the lust of the flesh. He'll, he'll dangle it out there. That Christian that's serving the Lord, or maybe that person that's fixing to come to Christ, he'll dangle that apple out there and say, come, come on over here. This is better. 
and in our lust and in our flesh, if we're not strong, if we're not focused, if we're not in the zone and know what we're doing, we'll follow that trail. We'll follow that trail. He will drag you down. He will drag you down. He, he, he will wreck everything that is good in life. He will, he will bring you down. He will destroy your life. Um, he came to steal. What does the scripture say? He came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan's schemes, Satan's plan. But it's not God's. God's is for us to receive the inheritance of this blessed life in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, <laughs> I love Paul's, I, I, I like to see Paul sitting at a table with some Calvinists and some Arminians talking about this verse. <laughs> now that you have come to know God, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, rather to be known by God. In other words, we're seeing, we're seeing God's sovereignty, amen and amen, but we're also seeing that he's come to know God. How he is, excuse, how is it that you have turned back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Why do, heart, why do people's hearts turn away? You've seen people. I've seen people. They're serving the Lord. They're living for Christ. But then something happens. Something happens and they, and they turn away from Christ. And you're like, have you lost your mind? Now, most likely something happened. A situation took place. But you have to ask yourself, in light of the promises of God, in light of the blessings of being a Christian, what happened? What took place? Number one, hearts grow cold when we're separated from the things of the Lord. Your heart will grow cold over time. If I spend enough time away from church, if I spend enough time away from the Bible, away from fellowship, away from time in prayer, over time, Pastor David, and put me on the spot, Pastor David's heart will grow cold. It will grow cold. That's why I have to stoke the fire and spend time in prayer, spend time in the Word. Even for devout Christians, we, 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 we got we to we gotta, uh, feed the fire. We got to feed the flame. That's part of the Christian life. Number two, why people turn away? They're disillusioned by hypocrisy. You know, I understand. I understand. People are disillusioned by hypocrisy. And, and it, it upsets me that people will disillusion other people and cause them to fall away. You know, but, and they should repent. And they should get things right. And they should go tell the person, say, hey, I'm sorry, I've blown it, or whatever. But part of me, part of me wants to humbly suggest to the person, hey, put your eyes on Christ. Put your eyes on Jesus and not on what that person has done. People will fail you, but God will not. Even within the church, people will fail you, but God will not. Even in life, people will fail you, God will not. Even in your family, at times, people, family members will fail you, but God will not. Will not. And he says there, um, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless? I love how Paul says that. The weak and worthless elemental things of the world. They're weak. They're worthless compared to the inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Compared to all the blessings that God gives us through his word. I like to say that the Bible, when I open it up and I dig into it and I take it by the horns. It's like 
opening up a fire hydrant and just let it just let it gush all over me, just letting it fill me, just letting it wash me over. That's what God's word is like, and that's what the inheritance is like, and that's what this living the Christian life is for, and it's like. Third step principle of receiving the inheritance is this, based on verse 9. Um, my, my third principle is this. Make a decision. There is no turning back. Come hell or high water, come any circumstances in life, the world crumbles, somebody falls on my left, falls on my right, I will not turn my back on Christ. I will not turn back to those elemental things of the past. I will not turn back to the, to the sin of the past. I will let it go. People say, well, what do I do with my past? What, what, what do I do with all that stuff I did? And Pastor David did a lot of stuff growing up right here in Irmo, South Carolina. I, I lived a heathen, 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 triple heathen, pagan, pagan, pagan life growing up right here in Irmo up until 1992 when I got radically saved. What do I do with all that baggage and all that stuff? Because you can't, you, can't you can't forget it. I mean, that's an impossibility. You'll always remember those things. What do I do with all the stuff that used to hold me down, all those elemental things? I do nothing with them. I leave them in the past. I leave them, I leave them in the past. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, he says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So we look forward in life. We look forward in our Christian walk. We look forward as we um, pursue God and we receive his inheritance of this blessed, abundant life. Look at verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul is addressing the Galatians. There's Judaizers sprinkled in. And the Judaizers, their hang-up was, was legalism. That was their issue. They were observing days or observing months and seasons. And Paul's saying, no more of that. No more of the law. No more of the observance of the law. The, the good news now that Jesus has come and died on the cross for our sins. Verse 11. For I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. Do you see Paul's heart for the Galatians here? He wants them to see the gospel. He wants them, as I'm talking to you this morning, he wants them to grow up and mature. He wants them to um, receive the inheritance that they have in Christ. You know, this, is, this should be the heart cry of every pastor, every teacher, every missionary, every servant, as we want people to see Jesus Christ and to see him high and lifted up and to see the blessings that come from being in Christ, to being in Christ. He says, I, he says, I fear for you. I labor over you. I beg of you. Um, become as you. He's, he's really driving home the point of his heart and his compassion for them to understand what God has done for them in Christ Jesus and for them to see the big picture. Now, verses 13 through 20, there's a huge drop-off here in theological teaching. And what we see in verses 13 through 20 as we read it 
as we're going to see. Um, Paul, it's like he's been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been giving them heavy theology. If you were with us last week, the passage before this, what did we look at? We looked at the schoolmaster, the schoolmaster of the law, and how the purpose of the law, the purpose of the Ten Commandments, was to show a person their need for a Savior. The person of the Ten Commandments was to point them to the cross. So Paul, for two chapters, is diving heavy, heavy, heavy into theology. And now, it's like he takes a deep breath and just sits down. He says, okay, let me share with you my heart. Let me share with you my motivation. Let's look at it. Verses 13 through 20. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Some commentators believe that Paul had an eye problem. He had an eye issue. In other places in Scripture, he talks about writing too big so that he could see. He talks about malaria. He had, a, he had an eye issue. But here's the thing about this. Paul would not let nothing in his life step in the way of sharing the gospel and communicating this message. You know, we think, um, you know, we go and we serve the Lord and we go to Columbia Airport and we get on a plane, go to Honduras and hop in a cab and shoot down to a church you know it's pretty easy it's pretty simple not with Paul man Paul on his missionary journeys he had Pat and Charlie and he had a long ways to go and he wouldn't let nothing stand in the way as he went to Iconium Lystra Derby Antioch Thessalonica Corinth he went to all these places and he wouldn't let nothing stand in the way of taking this gospel where then is that sense of blessing you had for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. You know, Paul wanted, as all pastors do, he wanted some love. <laughs> he wanted some love and appreciation. You know, he wanted a, 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 a living, dynamic relationship with the body. He's like, hey, man, I'm giving y'all everything. I'm giving you the gospel. I'm preaching to you uh, the words that Jesus has given to me. I'm establishing the church for the first time. Hey, throw me a bone. Throw me a bone. Give me some love. You know, let me know that you love me. Let me know that you appreciate me. Verse 16. So, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was so passionate about the Galatian, the churches in the Galatian region, um, understanding the gospel and understanding the, the inheritance that according to verses 13 and 14, he wouldn't allow no illness to stand in the way. No illness, no persecution. I believe it was at Lystra. They, they dragged him out. They stoned him to death. 
He was beaten to a pulp by stones. He would later write to the church in Corinth about his out-of-body experience he had, and he was taken up to the third heaven. But it was because of a stoning. He, he talks about in other epistles where he was beaten, but he wouldn't let nothing stand in the way. And then uh, verse, um, verse 16, Paul wasn't light-footed now. Paul, Paul wasn't seeker-sensitive. Paul wasn't uh, giving you warm fuzzies and making you just feel good. Look at verse 16. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul would tell them the truth, even if it hurt. He would tell them the straightforward truth. If you truly love someone, if a pastor, a minister, a teacher, a servant truly loves someone, you will share the truth with them. You will not sugarcoat it. You will not water it down. But you will do it in a loving, compassionate way. But you will share the truth with them. And Paul was that. I want us to close by looking at um, verse 19. Paul says here, um, he uses the term of endearment. The NASB says, verse 19, he says, my children, my children. It's like, it's like look, at, look at Sung Jun over there. Got his arms wrapped around his girl. We love our children. We care about our children. We want them to, we want to bless them. We want to take care of them. You know, that's how Paul was towards his believers. Or Connor with his, his, his arm wrapped around his grandma. That's how we are. It's, it's like family. I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Um, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Now, ladies, you know that having a baby is a difficult thing. It's, it's a very challenging thing. It's very rough. It's very, um, takes you out of your comfort zone. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge in life, you know. But it's the thing that you do it because you're going to have a baby. Same with Paul. Paul sees all the challenges that he faces with the church. And he sees all the difficulties and all the pains and all the uncomfortable things. But he says, I will be pleased at the end of the verse. He says, he says my goal is, an, is that Christ will be formed in you. Church, I present to you this morning, that is the inheritance that God has for you. A blessed life. A life filled with his Holy Spirit. A life knowing that you're adopted. A, a life knowing that you're going to spend eternity in heaven a life that's where, where you're just all is well. It doesn't mean everything's going to work out perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to face challenges. It doesn't mean you're not going to face difficulties. But with Christ in you, you will face those with a new confidence inside you when you have his inheritance, when you have his spirit, when you have his blessing, when you're living by his promises. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, help us, God, to see these truths. Help us to hunger and thirst for them, Lord. Help us to rejoice over them. Lord, help us to um, just take them to heart that, Lord, your spirit in our hearts, we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, as a loving, 
Heavenly Father that you are. We thank you that you are Abba Father to us because of our adoption by your Spirit. Lord, we love you and we praise you. For us in Jesus' name.